The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. On the third Sunday night of last month, we spoke to you on the responsibilities of church members. And I said at that time that I wanted to give a special emphasis on the importance of training our children to be responsible church members. And we addressed a couple of the most basic responsibilities that a member of the church has. And I want to continue with some other areas tonight. But there are several verses that came to my mind that I want to lay as a foundation which will show us why this is such an important subject. And I think it's an important subject for the same reason that uh, giving is an important subject. And that is, these are things that we do as members of the body of Christ, and the way we assume our responsibilities will affect other people in the church. And we can be a blessing to others as we assume our responsibility. So first of all, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Paul says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So here he compares the family of God to the natural body. In the same way that your natural body is made up of a lot of different parts, which are interdependent, that is, they depend on each other to accomplish what their purpose is. In like manner, the church is like a body made up of different parts. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now here at the most fundamental level, he's teaching us that when an elect child of God is born of the Spirit, they become a part of this body. That's in the most, I don't know if this is the appropriate word, but in, in the most vague, unnoticeable way, that's when a child of God is brought into the body of Christ. So as you go about your business each day at work or at school, Whatever you're doing, you're no doubt coming into contact with other members of the spiritual body of which you are a member. But now the church is supposed to be a place where this body is visibly manifest and where we can realize and experience what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. 
You see, the body of Christ with regard to those who are born of the Spirit contains no doubt billions of people. But it's in this small group of baptized believers that that body functions in a visible way where God's children can experience being a part of that body and being positively assisted or influenced by the other parts of the body. And notice also in Romans chapter 12, and I'll just begin with the first verse because these are some scriptures that we hear quite often, and I believe they're important in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now let me stop there just for a minute. And notice he says in verse 1 that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Speaking there of our physical body which houses the Holy Ghost. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And he says in doing this, at the end of verse 2, we may prove, and that indicates that we might scrutinize or test Determine what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, would you not agree with me that as the Lord blessed Brother Chris to preach this morning, we were able from the Scripture to scrutinize the will of God with regard to giving. That's our purpose when we gather together is to have a man who is called of God Speak from the Word so that we collectively might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He could have addressed that subject in a way that it wasn't the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He could have presented it in a way that was perverted in light of what the Scriptures have to say about it. And he did briefly allude to some examples of how this uh, subject is often uh, misrepresented. But then notice he says in verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, that is, your body parts do not all have the same function, so we, being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now think of the implications of that. When you consider the relationship of the parts of your body, how your hands depend on the arm, and the arm depends on the shoulder, how your feet depend on the leg, and all the parts are connected, he's wanting us to see 
and picture in our minds that concept as it applies to the local church because he says, so that is in the same way, we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. We are parts of each other. We're not to function alone. We're not an island unto ourselves, but we are interdependent. I need you, you need me. And then look at one more, and this takes it even further. In Ephesians chapter 4, now we'll not read all of this, but he's talking here about the preaching gifts, the leadership gifts, the gifts which would, would include the pastor and the teacher. And he says the purpose of these gifts in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith, till we all get on the same page regarding truth, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth, that is from the time that we associate ourselves with the body of believers, that from that point forward we be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now listen to this. From whom, that is from Christ, from the head, the whole body, fitly joined together, connected in the right way, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, that can indicate the idea of being glued together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth. That says that you are not an inactive, passive part of the body. That says you supply something. And see, for a part of your natural body to be inactive is for that part of your body to be in the way, isn't it? You know, if you're, if you're paralyzed, if you, if, uh, you have, if you can't use your hand, it's... It's there, but it's of no value to you. It, it's, it's just connected to the body, but it's not uh, serving the body. It's not helping the body. The body's not having influence on it. And so he says uh, here that from Christ, who is the head of the body, he says we're fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Listen to this according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. You see, church membership is far more than membership. 
It's far more than you would think of being a member of a club or organization. He says here that we supply according to, that is, this is what enables us to supply something to the body, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Now, if I spend the week in worldly pursuits, and I don't pray, and I don't read the Bible, and I'm not conscientious about who I associate with and how I behave myself, how is it that I can come to church on Sunday and supply anything? And what a shame it would be if I supplied that which had a corrupting influence on other members of the body. I've actually observed situations where someone gave counsel to another member that was in agreement with the world but contrary to the Word of God. We can get a disease, can't we? We can have cancer and have, be influencing one another in an unhealthy way. Notice he says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, joined together in the right way, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working. And that's referencing the Spirit of God influencing you as a member, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now there's a lot that could be brought out of that. That one verse includes so much about the body in motion. The body serving a particular purpose as a, as a whole unit made up of individual parts. And he says the ultimate accomplishment is that the body maketh, uh, he says that it maketh increase of the body. See, as, as the Spirit's effectually working in the measure of every part, as every member, every part is supplying something and, and, and contributing toward the body being uh, compacted together, he says the body increaseth unto the edifying of itself. Now I want you to think of that picture. Here the parts of the body are contributing something. You're contributing something and consequently the body, he says at the end of this verse, it results in the increase of the body unto the edifying or building up of itself. In other words, when you supply something, it benefits the body and that edifies you as well because you're a part of the body. You remember when we sang the hymn this morning, uh, Liberty, and Brother Chris said it's okay to shout? The Lord was in that hymn. And you see, if nobody sang, he wouldn't say that. If nobody sang, we wouldn't have the sense that the Lord was blessing. You were supplying something, but isn't it true that as you supplied something in singing that hymn, you benefited from the edifying of the body? 
That's what he's talking about here, that we contribute and we benefit from what we contribute. That's why it's so important that we understand and assume our responsibilities as members of the church. And interestingly, from the list I compiled, the last item on that list was teaching our children to give in a financial way to the church. But I want to continue tonight, and we may only look at one of these tonight, but just to remind you of the things we mentioned last time, we talked about faithful attendance and arriving on time. Now, you can take rest because those are probably the two most offensive things I'm going to talk about. If you're still listening after those two, you're probably going to keep listening. All of us struggle with that, don't we? Especially that arriving on time. All of us struggle with that. But you know, we looked at a couple of scriptures pertaining to both of those. And if you take notes and you weren't here, I would encourage you to jot down these verses and you can look them up later. With regard to faithful attendance, Jesus gave the example in Luke 4.16 and Paul admonished the church not to forsake the assembling of themselves together in Hebrews 10. 23 through 25. And with regard to arriving on time, uh, we looked at Psalm 122, verse 1, where the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And there's a similar passage like that in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3. But here's what we want to talk about for a little while tonight. One of the responsibilities that we have as church members, and this is one where it's especially important that we teach this to our children, or they will end up very likely not assuming this responsibility. And that's speaking to other members. You may say, Brother Buddy, that just sounds basic, is it? is it? Is it true? Can you say that that's a regular habit you have and you've tried to pass it on to your children? Have you been to other churches where people never spoke to you, walk right by and never spoke to you? This is something we need to be conscientious about. And I want you to know that this is something that, for the most part, you will determine as a parent whether you, how well your children do in this area. Now let's first consider a couple of scriptures. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24, There's some different ideas about what this verse is teaching. 
But I believe what I'm going to say about it is in harmony with the general principles of the Bible. So if someone interprets this a little differently than I do, that's okay. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, Jesus is the best friend. Jesus is the fulfillment of that verse in Proverbs that says, A friend loveth at all times. We're, there's very few of us that are that way. But Jesus loveth at all times. He's your friend. He sticketh closer than a brother. But the first part of this verse says, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. The manner in which you behave yourself with other people may determine whether or not you even develop a friendship with them. There's some people that will never make the first move. You know, I used to go down to the help plex, you know, uh, they're a lot friendlier at the box, Brother Mason. It's a smaller group. But when I would go down to Healthplex, there there's some people there, and I'm not being critical. This could be said of anywhere. That if I would not have made the move to be their friend, we would never have communicated. And all of you can say that about various situations. That if you didn't make the initial move to be friends with this person, you never would have developed a friendship with them. So always assume that it's on you to initiate communication. Amen. Now that applies out there in the world, wherever you're at. But it is especially applicable to the church of your membership. And first of all, it's important that we be this way one toward another within the membership of the church. I'm not talking now about people that visit the church. I'm just talking about we as members of the church. And when I put together this outline, I probably it's probably been 20, maybe 25 years ago that I put this together. And as I went through it, based on my experience since then, for the most part... There's very little I would change in terms of the recommendations that I would make. So I just want to give you some recommendations. First of all, our children must be trained to be friendly. That's simple, isn't it? But it's easy, easy to neglect that. You ever seen somebody walk in with their child and the child won't even look at you and, oh, they're playing shy? No, they're not playing shy. They haven't been trained to speak to people. They're being rude. You don't have to train a child to be unfriendly. You don't have to train a child to ignore adults because by nature, they're not interested in adults. They're interested in being with other children. 
You know, it takes us a long time to grow out of that. You know, even when we're teenagers, we want to be with other teenagers. It takes a lot of experience and a lot of self-discipline to treat everybody the same. So we've got to train our children to be friendly. I was hoping that Sister uh, Celeste Hokett was going to be here tonight. Because most of you know that she has two younger sisters. They grew up in the church that I grew up in, Five Mile Church. I vividly remember when they would come to church, you know, we had the two amen corners like we do here that nobody sits in. On one side, the women would sit, and on the front row of that side, it was the elderly women of the church that would sit on that front row. On this side, mainly men would sit, mainly the older men. As time went on, we compromised and started letting some younger people sit up there, but you know, it was the unwritten rule at first that that wasn't where the young people sat. But anyway... Every Sunday morning, she would take them, you know, for, they would get there before church started so they could do this. She would take them to those older people and get them to shake hands and speak to every one of them. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And guess what? For some reason, they're super friendly now. I've never been anywhere where Sister Celeste was, that she didn't make sure she spoke to me. Because that just became her habit. The, see, the, her mother didn't say, well, let's see if, I want to make sure my daughters aren't shy, because if they're shy, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Life is about being uncomfortable. Did you know that? Most of the things that you do that really accomplish something are a result of you doing something you don't feel good about doing. You just say, this is my responsibility, and I'm going to do it. So you see, friendly children will turn into friendly adults. And... Think of it, and we've already alluded to this, that being friendly is not a personality trait. It's a responsibility. Amen. You see, you can justify anything you want to do by saying, this is just the way I am. I've always had a short fuse. Well, change. Amen. I used to have a short fuse. And I'm sure I haven't perfected getting rid of it yet. But we can change. I like what one preacher said. You know, we come up with all these little proverbs. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, that may be true, but you're not an old dog. You're a child of God. And a child of God can always make changes at any age in life that will please the Lord. But I'll tell you this, the older you get, the harder it's going to be. So the younger, the sooner you can start doing what I'm telling you tonight, the easier it's going to be when you get older. And you young people, you young married couples, 
if and when the Lord blesses you with children. Keep these things in mind. Now, what about when people attend who are not members of the church? There's a couple of verses that I want you to consider. In uh, Exodus chapter 23 and verse 9. Also thou shalt not oppress a stranger. For ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now we know there's a literal application here that the Israelites actually physically lived in the land of Egypt. But the lesson for us today is that Egypt is a type or a picture of the world. And notice what he says here. A stranger is a child of God who feels like he's not where he needs to be, that he's out of place, that he's somewhere that he doesn't feel at home, and that's how a child of God feels in an ungodly environment. And notice the instruction here is don't oppress the stranger. Why? You know what, you know what it's like to be a stranger. Seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. When somebody comes in, we want them to feel different than they do in the world. What a blessing and testimony it is for somebody to come to our church and then you hear them say, you know, that's the friendliest place I've ever been. What if they go away saying, you know, nobody spoke to me. If that's the way they leave, that's what they're going to probably tell about in the community. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 19. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. You see, the child of God that's come under the conviction of sins and is heard, believed, and obeyed the true gospel and found that peace that passes understanding, who's come to realize that, yes, I'm condemned and I deserve hell, but according to the gospel, Jesus saved me, and I found a home with other people. I've come across a group of people that believe that same thing, and I feel a fellowship and a kinship with them that I've never felt anywhere else. God forbid that we do anything to hinder that oh that we might realize that we might treat them when they come among us that hey we know how you feel out there in the world we even know the struggles you have in the religious world because we've had the same struggles See, they very likely may be a person that no matter where they went to worship, they don't feel like they're good enough. They're not satisfied with the doctrine. They don't feel like that their salvation is secure because they're being taught it's based on what they've done. And so they're, they're never at complete peace about it. 
And oh, that they might come among us and, and be able to say as soon as they hear the first message and as soon as they interact with the people that they might be able to say, this is it. I don't feel like a stranger here. I feel like these people like me. <laughs> I feel like these people feel unworthy just like I do. But because they feel as unworthy as I do, I, can, I feel close to them. Isn't that wonderful? That's the way it is in the true gospel. And I like what one preacher said. He said evangelism is simply one beggar showing another beggar where the table is. That's what we are. We're just a bunch of beggars. But boy, we enjoy the food when the Lord provides it. You know, when visitors come among us, it's important to talk to them, but you also need to be careful about how much you talk and what you talk about. Now, Brother Chris is going to know exactly who I'm referring to. I went to a church one time that I'd never been to. And after the services, one of the men in the church came up to me and said, what's your reason for being here? I didn't feel too welcome when he said that. See, we need to think about how we greet people. First of all, don't let a visitor leave without you doing all you can to speak to them. I'm not saying go tackle them as they're going out the door, but try your best to make sure you say something to them. Tell them your name and some welcoming words. Say, I'm... I hope you enjoyed being here. We really like having visitors, and I hope you'll come back. And by the way, we're having a get-together at so-and-so's house Saturday. You're welcome to come. It'd be great. We'd like to see you there. But you see, you don't want to be overbearing, but at the same time, you don't want them to feel like that you're saying, I'm keeping my distance until I know more about you. You see, they're a stranger in Egypt just like you were in Egypt. But you found your way out of Egypt. You're enjoying the promised land. You know, Canaan, I'm not picking apart our hymns, but Canaan is not a type of heaven. It's a type of the church. It's the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the things they enjoyed uh, physically in terms of natural blessings in Canaan are available to us in the church today. The bountiful blessings. Don't make them feel like they're being interrogated. In other words, we're seeing if you ought to be here. Because you see, this is going to form the impression that they share with the community. And if you don't treat them right, and they therefore only come one time, this is going to be their permanent image of the church and the way they're going to always represent the church. 
Whereas they come back, they'll see we're not perfect, but they'll realize what kind of people we are. See, we were as strangers in Egypt ourselves, but we've come out of it. But there's still a lot of, of other strangers out there. You know, there's organizations that I'm involved with, and I'm sure you've experienced this, where you, you can tell that the people in that organization, they're trying to find in that organization what they can only find in the church. You see, we long to have things in common with people so we don't feel alone in this world. Now, there's some very shallow fellowship out there. Oh, I'm an Alabama fan and you're an Alabama fan. You know, when I lived in Florida, I always wore my Alabama shirt because it was a conversation starter. When I lived, I'm not talking about Northwest Florida, you know, there's plenty of them there. I'm talking about down in Tampa, Florida. If I wore my Alabama shirt to Walmart, there would always be somebody that would say, roll tide, and they'd say, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Tuscaloosa. Oh, I'm from Jasper. I'm from wherever. There was some fellowship there. But it was shallow. But if that's the best you ever had, you value it. Think about this. You probably can relate to this. Have you ever attended um, a denominational church and you go to the meeting and you sense all the things that are not right and it makes you feel uncomfortable. And you can observe the other people interacting. And from your perspective, you're thinking, why, it doesn't appear any better here than their relationship at the office. And you're saying, doesn't this bother them? No, it doesn't bother them because that's the deepest they've ever felt. Whereas you're going there knowing what the fellowship and the true gospel is like and how close you are to the Lord's people in the church. So when you go there, it's obvious to you that this is shallow. And I'll tell you this. To whatever degree we compromise truth to gain numbers, it'll be in direct proportion to how much we compromise or sacrifice our fellowship in the gospel. I don't want to grow the church at the cost of diminishing the closeness we have. But if we'll behave ourselves like we ought, as I've described tonight, and some of those strangers in Egypt come among us, we can experience growth without sacrificing that closeness that we enjoy. The people that we want to join are the people that come up here and say, you know, I really don't feel like I'm good enough to be a member. We're ready to make a motion right then, aren't we? soon as we see them saying, y'all don't need to let me join, that's when we're saying, we want them to join. Amen. But if somebody comes up here, like a guy Brother Chris met one time, and he said, I, got, I have a degree in church growth. 
And if you ever want me to speak at your church, I'll be glad to come help you. And of course, Brother Chris said, thank you, and he will never contact him. We're not looking for those that think they're valuable. We're looking for those that know their only value is what they have in Christ. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.